Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by listennotes.com. So you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today as we are in a very special episode with the conclusion of a great two-part interview with Dr. Candace Campbell. She's a career nurse and a whole lot more. Uh, she's also the author of a new book titled Improv to Improve Healthcare, A System for Creative Problem Solving. She's also an improv actor with some pretty intriguing one-person shows, and in one of them, she portrays probably the most famous nurse ever, Florence Nightingale. So you do not want to miss this discussion as we jump back into the conclusion with this interview with Dr. Candy Campbell. I remember the first time I saw someone die. And that happily uh, was just before I actually came to know Christ as an adult. And that experience has never left me about how we're only one breath away from eternity. And if you don't mind, could I share that experience? Some people don't like to talk about death, but this was a Christian woman and again, I had not come back to Christ at all, but I, I was on that float team and I was going to the cancer ward and uh, the hospital was a, a nice uh, middle-class, whatever you want to call it, hospital. It had two beds in each room. And this was before hospice uh, at home became kind of a thing. People died in the hospital more often. You know, this, so this was like in 1980, I think. And um, there were uh, two patients in that room. The one closest to the window was this woman who ultimately died. And uh, I was with her for two nights on the three to 11 shift. The other lady who was closer to the door, the first night she was there, she was slated to leave the next day. She was getting well and getting out. Right. And so the second day she wasn't even in there, but the thing that, surprised me or impressed me when I went into that room was that the lady, uh, this Christian lady, her was obviously so well loved. Her walls and everything around her were decorated with wonderful notes and pictures from her grandbabies and all kinds of wonderful loving messages. And my task Uh, as her nurse, as her basically hospice nurse there, was to guide her gently in her last time. And the first day was really fun um, because one of the first things she said to me when I came in with her morphine, you know, she had an injection site and her family had said, we want it given right on time. So I was definitely going to do that. Didn't want her to be in pain. So when I walked in and spoke to her daughter, she said, oh, it's time. I'll take a break while you, you know, do your assessment and then, you know, give her this medicine. So she kind of was 
you know, in and out of it. And, and when I touched her and told her that I was going to take her blood pressure and whatever, she looked up at me and she said, are you my angel? <laughs> and I said, no, I'm, I'm your nurse. And she said, you look to me like an angel. And I thought, oh, how sweet. And I said, no, I'm just here to make you comfortable. And she said, well, I'm going to call you my angel. And I thought, oh, man, this woman is so full of love. No wonder everybody loves her. It was really cute. I didn't know she said that to all her nurses or what. But the next day when I came in, she was obviously going down quite a bit. And um, her family was there and it was the same thing happened. It was time for me to, you know, gently, um, you know, see if I could rouse her to, you know, give her, um, you know, I have to chart about if she's with us or whatever. Anyway, I gently roused her again and she said, here's my angel. And I said, it's so sweet of you. And I said, um, it looks like you're sleeping quite a lot. Well, she she obviously was right back sleeping. So, okay, I gave her the medicine. And almost immediately after I gave her this medicine, she opened her eyes a little and looked straight ahead and went, <gasps> lovely. And then she fell back and left this body. Amen. And I was so, it just still gives me goosebumps mm. to think about it. But do you know, you would have thought that maybe that kind of experience would have made me go pray and seek the Lord. A bit. No, it was, a, it was probably um, many months mm. before I, then I reflected on, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, there is a hope yeah. for afterwards. Amen. It's real. Amen. 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 That's great. I've been saving this part of the interview for last because I know many of our listeners will know who we're going to be talking about. Because you developed a solo presentation as probably one of the most famous nurses in the world, Florence Nightingale Live. Why did you pick her to portray in your show? Oh my goodness, this is another that's another story. Well, let me just preface this by saying I had already done two shows. And again, kind of like the books, kind of like the docu. If there's a problem that I think I need to address as a person who transitions between art and science. That's my little tagline, blending art and science for positive system change. And if the Lord puts it on my heart, you know, this is what I want you to do, then, okay, I'm going to have to tackle it. Well, I had done two solo shows and done well with them, but they're a lot of work. <laughs> You know, and I wasn't in the market to do that. I had just finished my doctorate and I only got the doctorate. That's a whole other subject. I, I wasn't planning on doing that. But I was, uh, as a member of the National Speakers Association, I was at a, a holiday party. And in 2010, the nurse community was, well, I 
can't call it exactly a celebration, but they were recognizing the fact that 100 years prior was the last year of Nightingale's life. She lived 90 years and she died in 2010. There's a woman who is not a nurse. She's a the preeminent living nurse historian. Her name is uh, Lynn McDonald. She's wonderful. She's a Canadian person and a friend of mine. I'm, I'm happy to say now, but she had been writing on Nightingale. She did her PhD uh, in sociology around Nightingale's work. But in 2010, Lynn managed to convince all the powers that be in Britain to upload her over 200 books and articles and over 10,000 letters onto the internet. Mm. And one day I was in a faculty meeting and and our librarian for our department came in and said, Hey, everybody, did you know that this stuff is there? And if you want, you can access it for free because you know, you're a professor. So I started in reading. I'd read one little thing of hers, but I I started in reading and those letters and such, I was captivated. So by, (laughs) by 2013, I had pretty much finished reading most of this stuff that I could. And while we were at this holiday party, I started waxing poetic about what an amazing woman she was. Not only a visionary statistician who obviously had had created this profession of caring for sick people out of nothing. I mean, that's a whole other, the history of the profession wouldn't be a profession without her. And uh, I was going on and on. And a friend of mine across the room heard me going on and seeing me all animated about this. And he he comes up to me and he's been a mentor for me, Barry, <laughs> for a long time, Barry Wishner. And he says, wait a minute, I got a question for you. I said, oh, what? He said, uh, so... You've had two one-person shows. Yes, Barry, I have. And you're a nurse. Yeah. And you're all about this Florence Nightingale. Yeah. Why isn't that your third solo show? (laughs) I'm like, oh no, Barry, I don't, I don't need another solo show. I don't, I I don't want to do this. He goes, I'm, I'm just the messenger. (laughs) <laughs> I, I think I was told to ask you that question. Do you know that he called me the next morning? He goes, this is God. <laughs> <laughs> and he's of the Jewish tradition. So we, we share, you know, we share the great I am. Yeah. And he said, no, seriously, I don't know of anybody. And he goes, I don't know anything about her. I just started looking up Florence Nightingale. It's just really cool stuff. But he goes, I think you'd be the perfect person. Who else better to portray? That was beginning. Amen. Amen. And you go all out in this. I mean, you dress in time period fashion, but you just don't deliver a monologue and and leave it at that. You interact with the audience. You take questions. Your website says, what would Florence Nightingale have to say about healthcare today? And what advice would she give? I mean, do you only perform the Florence Nightingale Act for healthcare related audiences? Oh, no. No, no. We've been in public uh, 
stages on public stages too. And, you know, it was so funny that you say that because pre-pandemic, I signed with um, an agent to represent me. Um, It's uh, Manuel Prestimo of Performance Management International. And we had many contracts for me to be on stages in three countries. And so then we went virtual, right? So, yes, uh, we we have been blessed to appear now virtually in many countries and uh, hoping to. Well, I did get on the road one time last year in November for the American Nurses Association and uh, got to present miss a, a, a little cameo of miss nightingale for 7200 nurses amen, amen and florence nightingale is a very spiritual person as well right uh, can you yes. share some insight into that yes you know it's interesting about her tradition when she was younger very young her family were unitarians but she comes she came from an aristot aristocratic background. Mm -hmm. And for many reasons, her parents switched to the C of E Church of England. And when she, before she was involved in the Crimean War as the superintendent of the very first British Army Nurse Corps, she had not necessarily, she had more of a Unitarian view of Christ. But something happened when she was in the Crimea. Actually, it happened before, um, before she, before the war broke out, and before she took her first actual formal um, administrative role um, in London during a cholera epidemic. Um, she had visited, and it, you can imagine, in the 1840s, a single woman visiting Egypt, and mm. the main mode of transportation was the Nile. Uh the river. She, of course, was with her chaperones, her godparents, uh, the Bracebridges, which are uh, wonderful uh, people. And, uh, but, you know, uh, that's a single woman wouldn't have gone anywhere, done anything without a chaperone in those days. And, and that particular experience was what she called the launching pad for everything, because being a person who believed in God, as the Unitarians do, although in a different way, mm-hmm. she saw poverty in a way that she had never seen it before. And she wrote extensively. She wrote over 500 pages of letters home, just journaling everything that she was thinking that she was seeing. And she really esteemed the the ancient Egyptians for their seeking out God in everything. And she thought, it's no wonder they believe in the afterlife because life here is so difficult. Yeah. Their terrain is so, it's just brown, you know? Yeah. The sand, the Nile, the people, everything is brown. Yeah. And, and she said um, that though, during that time of seeking, is when she felt she had another experience with the Lord speaking to her Mm. and was solidified that even though her family was so against her idea of what she was called to do, because it was so 
off kilter for a typical aristocratic Victorian woman who's just expected to marry and settle down. Um, She came back. And then when she went to the Crimea, well, actually to, to Turkey and so forth and, and, and was faced with this death and destruction. And that is when she called out to Christ and Mm. saw she had that experience that that is just different. That was different. It changed her life. Now, it's interesting also that a lot of people who read her earlier works think that she was just some sort of mystic person that didn't have a personal relationship with Christ. But that, like, again, you know, she wrote a lot. So you'd have to go deep into what mm-hmm. she wrote later and how she lived her life yeah. later Amen. to know. Amen. Yeah, that's that's good. I, I want to talk as we get ready to close. I want to talk about your book, Improv to Improve Healthcare, a System for Creative Problem Solving. Improv is often thought of as just, you know, a funny show, but mm. you take it far deeper than just the funny part. Why do you believe this book was so needful for right now? The interesting part about this for me was that after I was divorced, I just, I, after a while, a few months, I just needed to laugh again. And as an actor, I, I knew that one way to get out of the slump that, you know, I was in with a failed marriage was to do some stand-up comedy. So I enrolled in a clean comedy class and everybody there was like eight of us in the class. Everybody else was taking improv and I could see how they were more fluid on stage and, and I, I was, you know, more in my head and stiffer. And so I started taking improv classes too. And right away it twigged in my mind, gosh, this could be really helpful for healthcare. Cause I was, you know, in, in nursing and it's a very hierarchical model And so interestingly enough, four of us co-founded this improv company in the San Francisco area in uh, 1993, a long time ago. And we were playing all over the place. And one night, a man came up to us afterwards with a question. A lot of people would always ask us, oh, you know, you must have had a plant, you know, couldn't have been spontaneous. But it was, you know, really was spontaneous. And he said, okay, okay, I get that it wasn't planned, but here's my question for you. And he worked for a large software company, a startup, software startup that's been subsumed by some other company. Now you may, I'm not going to mention the name, but anyway, he said, could you come and tell my engineers how to play nice and park their egos? solve some problems. So as it turned out, I was the only one of the four of us who had had curriculum development because I had this teaching minor talking about how the Lord uses these things. So that was the first time I came to facilitate. And instead of trying to, um, you know, in the back of my mind, hoping that something would be funny and generate laughs, I realized that during those debriefings, how precious this time was that I saw people who came in, you know, with their arms crossed like this, I've been made to come here, relax, connect with the other people, establish a relationship where evidently there had been at loggerheads before. Mm, yeah, and so yeah. I thought this is great. I'll, 
I'll get this into healthcare. But that was where the fences <laughs> were. Your loggerhead hit. So yeah. That's right. That's right. So that's why I wrote the book because that's why, as I had referred to earlier, I decided to go ahead and take a doctorate because, you know, when when I was already an academic and when you go to the dean and and well, they offer you, you know, it's a school, they're mm-hmm. willing to give you a doctorate if you if you want to try for it. But and you pay you for know, it. <laughs> yeah, and you pay for it. And it's still paying for it, by the way. And uh, but you know, they ask you some pertinent questions so that nobody wastes their time and vice versa. Uh, what do you want to do for this? You can either cut a new channel you know, with new information, or if you don't know what to do and you just want to be an academic, I've got a a list of projects we can add you to the research team, you know? And I said, I told, you know, what I just told you and this wonderful Dean of nursing said, I think that's wonderful. And I know exactly what we'll do. So she got me set up with Stanford and I uh, did the research, the qualitative research with, uh, some teams that were at loggerheads and that was what I did. And then later mapped out a series of four books. So this improv to improve healthcare is the first, it got picked up by business expert press, which is in, in a colleague with uh, Harvard business press. And so that's available now through them. And the next one I'm almost finished with, it'll be, available later this year it's called improv to improve your leadership team not specific oh, to healthcare amen mm-hmm. when you write that when that book is published you need to come back on oh thank you i'm i'm all about leadership and team building so mm, yeah i amen. know amen amen uh, but in today's chaotic hospital settings you know with, what with covid staff shortages and all mm. that going on how can improv training assist with the day-to-day pressures that healthcare professionals are facing I mean, just cut jokes or what's up? No, 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 no. And thank you. That's that's really a pertinent question. Um, I will answer it this way. Recently, in 2021, I think it was the end of September or the beginning of October, the survey group Press Ganey, which is pretty much the largest healthcare survey group, they're like Gallup, came out with a DEI survey, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion survey. And it surprised everybody, I think, because what their findings were that diversity and equity are real, uh, you know, the problems there are real, but it was a large survey that included not just minority people, um, or people of color or what have you, uh, it included all kinds of people. And it was a large survey. And the thing that surprised them was that the idea of inclusivity was one of the reasons that it was mostly millennials that they were surveying, was one of the reasons that people were saying they were thinking of quitting healthcare or they already did. And when they broke it down to what do you mean by inclusivity. It was the feeling of belonging, the feeling of belonging. Well, then when you look at the hierarchical nature, like you say, it's built on the military model. 
it's understandable because in the corporate world, and I know I was told this too when I became an administrator, you can't have friendships with people that you were friends with before because then the gossip will start and this and that. It's the legal liability. Improv is a way that when we teach the leaders how to be vulnerable and authentic in a way that allows them to create a relationship with people that work for them, that becomes more of a coaching as opposed to discipline type of atmosphere. You know how you feel if you're an employee and you get a note or an email saying, you know, we need to talk or come mm-hmm. to my office. It doesn't usually sound like it's good news right. because in healthcare, especially we've been really remiss about recognizing, you know, catching people doing something good. <laughs> uh, and so because of that, it's got really negative connotations when you have a tete-a-tete with anybody who's in the administration. And I think this system helps people relax a little bit. And it's not about telling jokes. What's funny is that when I'm facilitating these groups, it's so clear that because there's, it's, it's not role-playing in like about hospital situations. We don't do that. We take it away so that the ideas of how to connect, how to spontaneously come up with ideas, how to accept and how to listen and then accept what someone has said and work with an idea. This is the formulation of what some people now call uh, agile thinking or design thinking, it's really the bedrock of how uh, how improvisation in the arts has happened for yeah. generations. Amen. 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 Candy, this has all been so fascinating. How can someone obtain a copy of your book, Improv to Improve Healthcare, a System for Creative Problem Solving? Is, is it on Amazon? Oh, it's on any place they sell books. Yes, definitely. And if someone wanted, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say there's an audiobook version also of the first edition. This, um, the, it's the second, the first edition was in 2018, but then when Business Expert Press picked it up, they asked me to expand it. So it, it's, uh, the first edition is the audio book. The second edition has a lot more exercises and um, tools. Uh, amen. Amen. So if someone wanted to uh, get in touch with you, maybe to ask a question or maybe have you come out and speak to their group, business or conference, how can they do that? How can they get in touch with you? Candy, C-A-N-D-Y at candycampbell.com. Amen. Oh, and if may I also, yeah, websites. I was, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just speak over you. CandyCampbell.com is the one for improv. And uh, we are just uh, redoing that. I'm very excited for for the, the retooling, the modernizing of that one. And then if they're interested in Miss Nightingale, Florence Nightingale Live.com. There's lots of things up there to watch. Yes, there is. Amen. So I'll put links to all that down below in the show notes. Amen. Oh, thank you. Folks, Dr. Candy Campbell has poured her life 
and to helping others, especially in hospital settings. But communication techniques like she teaches can be used in many, many settings, business, ministry, even personal relationships if you get down to it. Office settings, of course. And you need to get a copy of this book, Improv to Improve Healthcare, a system for creative problem solving right now. Just drop down on the show notes, click the links right there. In fact, I'd recommend you order two or three copies and pass them out to friends and coworkers. And, and get in touch with Candy. If you're a business, especially a healthcare-related business, you need to book her right now for your next conference. Just use the links down below. Get in touch with Dr. Candy Campbell today. And be sure to order her book. Amen. Candy, it was such a pleasure to have you come on the program today. Like I said, it, when we first talked before the recording started, it's not every day that I was able to talk to Florence Nightingale. thank you so much bob it's been truly a pleasure and uh, folks that is all the time we have for today Uh, for dr campbell myself this pastor bob reminding you be blessed in all that you do thank you for listening to today's episode of the kingdom crossroads podcast please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcasts. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success.